It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. to On The Beat Live. It's Tuesday, October 17th. You are watching the number one UNC football-focused video podcast on Tuesday nights. <laughs> it's a distinguished honor uh, on The Beat Live. Your crew here, you have myself, producer John, Jeremiah Holloway, Adam Smith, and intern Evan Rogers. Tommy Ashley, the hardest working man at Inside Carolina, is off tonight. He'll be back on Thursday for the Game Plan podcast. But we're here tonight to talk about UNC's win over Miami. UNC moved to 6-0. and We're going to recap some press conference action this week and also look ahead to the game against Virginia. Adam, I'm going to start with you. We had some exciting press conferences today. I loved hearing from Tom Maganis, uh, the new punter. What stood out for, for, for you uh, from the press conferences that we heard uh, today in the Keenan Football Center? Am I supposed to be talking about our Aussie punter now? UNC's Aussie punter? Is that, or just everyone? Is that what, where would you like me to go with this, John? You, you start with everyone, but we're going to circle back to that punter because I thought it was a great interview. I was thinking about you, John, seriously. And I do that from time to time when I told um, Evan and Jeremiah that. I thought the Bo Atkinson video was going to do numbers. I know you are a, a numbers guy on the YouTube views. I just had that feeling. Like, it's the first time we had, we had talked to Bo Atkinson since he became a UNC Tar Heel. He's got the flowing mane, the Thor look. Uh, he's playing well. I mean, he looks like he's going to be a guy who's going to be a stud for the future. Um, but I was just thinking, I haven't looked at it yet. I haven't looked at the YouTube numbers yet, but I, I just had a feeling. And in no disrespect to Cedric Gray, Corey Gaynor, or Tom McGinnis, who I thought, I thought, I don't know what Jeremiah would say, but I thought it was one of the more interesting Tuesdays we've had. And we've had great Tuesdays. You know, we usually get Drake every Tuesday and he was given the week off, uh, which did not prevent him from lingering around the lobby and heckling Bo. Atkinson, he was heckling somebody else. He's just back there yelling half the time. Um, so yeah, I see Sean Crowley's comment. That's right. I am <laughs> I got my dad jeans on tonight, Sean. I got uh, what is the com- we'll we'll have to figure it out what the combined age of the three young bucks versus me is. Um, yeah, dad jokes and dad jeans, but Tom McGinnis, a heck we asked for him. Like, I mean, why not? You know, this guy has played in his first American football game on Saturday, which was a top 25 matchup. He was talking about seeing 60,000 people. What did he say, Jeremiah? He's usually only used to seeing 200 people, I think. Right. I think it was that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little little bit yeah. of a difference. Um, <laughs> and as some people on the message board noted, you know, he dropped a few cuss words in there. I mean, he had the whole Aussie bloke thing going. Um so I, I thought it was a I, I would encourage I know we, we sound like a broken record. I would encourage our viewers to go check out these videos that we try to do a decent job at with. Uh, and, and the group today was good. I mean, Corey Gaynor is great. I love talking to Corey Gaynor. Uh, Cedric Gray. I could talk to that guy every single day and never get tired of it. Um, but it was fun to have Tom McGinnis and, and Bo Atkinson making their Tuesday player debuts uh, with us, I thought. Jeremiah, what about for you? What stood out from the interviews both today and yesterday? Because I know we got Coach Brown and the two coordinators yesterday. What stood out uh, from from your point of view? No, nah, I agree with Adam. I feel like, uh, you know, just on the Tuesday, today's Tuesday press conference being so interesting. I think like having new covers in there just makes it so 
it gives like an extra freshness to it. I feel like uh, obviously you have one player that was a red shirt last year, another player that you know, played their first game um, or even, I mean, obviously Corey Gaynor is really, you know, always has good stuff. Uh, you know, the times we get to talk to him and, uh, and Gray as well. But I think for me, uh, one of the things that kind of stood out was how UNC, they've talked about the complacency thing, trying to avoid that because they do understand what happened uh, last year. But I mean, you know, just thinking about UVA, the fact that you're playing, a, you're about to play a one in five football team. Cedric Gray, honestly, he did acknowledge that, like, yeah, it could be tougher, you know, quote unquote, getting up for that game. He didn't say it's, you know, uh, he was, he didn't say he was having issues with it, but he said he could see how that could be tougher. Um, I mean, even when you look at, and we'll talk about Virginia later, I guess, but even when you look at Virginia on paper, it's like, it's, yeah, they're not Syracuse or whatever. But I think everybody kind of, you know, they're communicating that they have a, a certain perspective on it. And, you know, they're continuing to talk about, you know, how, I mean, I remember uh, Mac yesterday was saying that that Sunday meeting they had was one of the most intense meetings they've ever had after a win. I thought that was, you know, pretty interesting, especially when you beat a team like Miami by multiple scores, they, you know, it could have been more, you know, had the, I mean, they were able to kind of score a few more late in the game. Uh, but I thought, you know, that kind of stuff stood out to me as well. And um, even Corey Gaynor uh, brought up, I don't even remember who, who, whose question he was on, but he was like, wow, so nobody wants to ask about Virginia or whatever, <laughs> you know. And so he voluntarily was kind of, you know, talking about Virginia and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think that's kind of what stood out to me. I think, uh, you know, as UNC tries to protect its 6-0 record, one of the ways you protect that record is – beating teams that you're supposed to. Uh, so, um, you know, I think, um, yeah, it's just kind of looking at their how they're trying to be focused this year and just kind of the way they're communicating that is, is what stood out, stood out to me. You know, one of – John, just if I jump in real quick, one of the things we asked today was – and you, you feel like you know the answer kind of to this before you ask it, but it, does is UNC better equipped this season to sort of deal with – the stakes, the stakes are going to keep rising. Um, and I mean, six and oh, you're already there. I mean, you're the top 10 in the polls. So like, you know, last season was a special season to a degree, obviously with the nine and one start, the coastal championship, they played for the ACC title. Um, you know, that doesn't have, that hasn't happened around UNC often. Um, but that was one of the questions we asked today. In addition to all the other fun stuff that we got into with these guys, and uh, Jeremiah Slow played it. Jeremiah did not mention that he got to talk to Bo Atkinson today, and he is already a fan favorite <laughs> with Bo Atkinson's parents, who, when we were making our way to Pittsburgh a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago for the UNC Pitt game, we're in the airport, you know, it's early, we're sleepy, and here these people are shouting Jeremiah out. They recognized him. They knew him, and it was Bo Atkinson's parents, mom and dad. So uh, before the plane took off for Pittsburgh, he was already uh, fast friends with, I don't know their names, Mr. and Mrs. Atkinson. Yeah, you know uh, what it was? I think they recognized, they might have recognized the sound of my voice. That might have been what it was. I mean, he's got fans. <laughs> he's got fans in the airport. An interesting note from him today, uh, you know, like his dad played basketball yep. at UConn. His mom played volleyball. I mean, not not, not bad genetics you're working with there. Um, but – yeah, to get back to what I was rambling about, yeah, I mean, I, we, we asked that question today about being better equipped, and I, I personally think that they are. I think they're older, they're more mature. I think they're better than they were last season. I think that's obvious. Um, now, it's going to play out here over these next six games, but, um, you know, that was, one of the, that was one of the things we mixed in with all the other fun stuff, like, Tom McGinnis, how did you, you know, learn to put on your shoulder pads, which were an issue for him too. I'm curious, Evan, from your point of view, same question, anything that stood out, anything that we've missed so far that was covered this week in the pressers? Yeah, I think really getting back to Bo Atkinson, the thing that impressed me most about him is all the guys throughout this season that we've talked to, especially the older guys, the Cedric Grays, the Drake Mays, the Corey Gainers, they say the right things in regarding, you know, we have to take every opponent seriously, you know, one game at a time, taking this journey step by step. But
but when you listen to Bo and he talks about how he's approaching this UVA game and, and every game he's played this year as like its own Super Bowl and how he understands the crazy nature that is college football. And that's coming from a guy like Adam said, who met with the media for the first time of his college career. So when you hear that from one of the younger guys, that really shows that the message and the maturity of this team is also trickling down to some of the younger guys, which I think is a large reason why the team collectively as a whole seems to be a lot more mature and, and a lot older and, and handling the success that they've had at this point a lot better than they have in years past. Absolutely. The success so far is a 6-0 and record. Before we look ahead to Virginia this upcoming weekend, I want to do one last segment on the Miami game. I like this segment because uh, it allows us to show off Adam's robust notebook, which I'm sure he has nearby. You don't have the pen and paper with you tonight, Adam? All right, good. That's why that's why I, I was worried there for a Never second. Far away. So uh, for the three beat writers assembled here, I want you to empty the notebook. Anything that we haven't covered yet from the past weekend's game. Jeremiah, we'll start with you. Maybe what's the, one thing we missed uh, in the coverage so far from that Miami win. I think it's very unique that UNC has missed two specialty guys for the year. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Coe went out early, and uh, uh, Ben Kiernan is also out uh, at that punter spot. Um, so kind of looking at that, uh, Mac Brown was talking about how the punters are pretty much graded out during those practices every time, like they're always being evaluated. On the depth chart, Cole Maynard had actually been the number two so we were honestly kind of thinking, you know, maybe they lean that way and, you know, even them kind of watching them warm up how I thought Maynard's uh, a lot of Maynard's punts had, a lot, you know, a lot more airtime on them. And it was clear that Tom McInnes had, you know, the advantage probably when it came to the rugby style of punts. But, you know, Mac was saying that in the evaluation process that McInnes was kind of winning, you know, and uh, I guess the way that they graded. And so they kind of rolled with him. And then Noah Burnett, obviously, who's the guy at kicker last year he's had to come in he hasn't missed a kick yet um you know he's so he's been able to obviously maintain that spot uh that was you know pretty much bestowed upon him after after two games um but I think that's really unique a kicker and a punter being out for the year I'm not sure that Max had a team in which that I meant you know meant to you know get to that at, at a certain point but yeah I think that to me that was just very unique and then even the fact that you have two kickers two separate kickers, one doing the kicks, one doing the kickoffs. I know some teams do that, uh, but that's clearly the position that UNC has itself in. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that kind of goes moving forward. And and just, you know, I mean, so far I think it's been fine. You know, I think that, uh, you know, maybe some of the punt coverage, they, they'd like to do better on it. I know they had a penalty out there on the punt coverage uh, against Miami. Um, but from a field goal standpoint, it's all worked out well. Um, I know Mac was actually saying he wanted the kickoff coverage as a whole to be better. He said that yesterday. Um, but yeah, I think special teams is probably an underrated aspect of this team so far. I think we, cause we talk a lot about, and this is true for any team, but we talk a lot about the offensive weapons they have and the improvements that the defense has made. But I think when you look at the special teams, I mean, it's been a, it's been a very interesting ride for them. So I think that's one thing that I, that, that I took away. Yeah, I think it, Speaks to to Mac Brown's experience as a head coach. He knows to get his roster in a position where he can carry three kickers. They have uh, Coe, Burnett, and then the kickoff specialist and three punters. Uh, mm -hmm. That's, I think, a little bit unique in terms of roster construction. Mac Brown has seen a lot of things. Maybe this is the first year that he's lost two specialists like this, but he knew to be prepared for it with his roster management. Evan, what about you? What stood out? from UNC's 41-31 win over Miami before we turn the page. I think a lot of this year has been made of the fact that it feels like this UNC team can win in different ways. There's games where it's the defense that steps up, it's the rushing game that steps up, it's the passing game that'll prevail. And from the Miami game particularly, it was interesting to look at pro football focuses grades the day after. Uh, Drake May received a 58.2 grade for the game. And that's Drake's lowest grade of a game he's ever started in his career. And UNC won a game over a top 25 opponent by 10 points. And it didn't even feel that close, to be honest, about the 10-point the margin. There were a couple of, of garbage, you know, big touchdowns there given up late. 
So I think it, it says a lot to this UNC team that their ability to win in different ways. And last year, if you think about how many games came down to Drake May driving late and, and bailing out UNC almost in a way, whether it was the Duke game or the Miami game last year on the road, just so many games where it was dependent on the play of Drake May. And one year removed from that, it kind of shows the overall progression of the roster as a whole. When you have Drake May statistically speaking, having his worst graded start of his career and you still beat a top 25 team by double digits pretty comfortably. Absolutely. Adam, close us out here. That is kind of nuts what Evan's talking about. I mean, Carolina was up three touchdowns in the second half. <laughs> with, um, with like he's saying, like, you know, Drake, you know, that's, I guess that's got to be one of his least accurate games uh, in terms of the completion percentage because he was setting it on fire with the the plus 70 percent um but would it be would it be mastering the obvious to talk about tez walker and omari on omari and hampton i mean jeremiah and evan have to be tired of hearing me talk because i say the same things repeatedly um but and tez walker is such a just just gorgeous athlete to watch move what would you do if you could run like tez walker I'd be running all over the freaking place, you know? <laughs> like, I live in a cul-de-sac back here. I would just be sprinting up. and I mean, my neighbors would see me run all the time. Shout out to my neighbors, by the way. I believe some of them watch the podcast. Um, I mean, God dang, that guy just glides. You know, like, when he turns, when he hits top speed, you know? Has he hit top speed yet? I mean, he looks like he's just we're, – we're, we're talking to people around the program today, uh, you know, you know, people around the program show up for the press conferences and they were mentioning that one of the guys was mentioning that, uh, you know, the, when you're, when they're training in the summer and they're running and uh, like Brian Hess, the strength coach times these guys, see what speed you top out at. They used to put them up on the, uh, there's a scoreboard in the indoor facility. They used to put them up there. I think they've stopped doing that now, but they used to like, you could see who the fastest was, but um you're talking about like guys straining to get to 21 and 22 miles an hour and tez is just floating you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. i just I, I think it's um it, the numbers and the ability and all that and the fact that he's been able to um weather the ncaa storm and come out on top when it didn't seem like he would ever play um but god dang man the touchdown ball over the top the 50 some yarder where the Miami DB is just running as hard as he can, jumping as high as he can. I mean, he's fully straining. Tez is just cruising, cruise control. Catches it, skips into the end zone. You know, celebration. Like it's, it's, um, it's, it's fun to watch. And Omarion, good God, I mean, what? And what? I think it was. Guys, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Corey Gaynor said today, Omarion Hampton has become a total man. And that is a man in Corey Gaynor <laughs> saying that about yeah. uh, the young bull, you know, like I have, I think I would die. You would have to bury me if I had to stop Amorian Hampton one-on-one <laughs> -on -one in space with him in a head, head full of steam. I mean, three yards shy of 200 for the second time in six games this season. I mean, you got some, uh, one of the things we wrote was that UNC's best players showed up when they needed them. And man, you know, talk about meeting the moment, you know, I thought those two guys really did. I know, I know it's been covered, but um, you know, you need your difference makers when you need them to make a difference. And, you know, I thought, I thought they were. With the benefit of hindsight here, a few days removed. Do you think UNC beats Miami without, Tez Walker, I know there's a few variables there. Do you have Kobe Pacer? But do you think UNC can win this game without Tez? I think it's a infinitely more difficult because, yeah, I mean, the timing of it, too. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about the specialists. Uh, it's, it's wild to think about the fact they're on their backup punter and kicker, uh, and they're going to be trying to compete for a championship or get in that race. Um, but – you know, I, I no one will ever confuse Kobe Pesor for Tess Walker in terms of the the sheer athleticism, but the guy can produce. You know, like um, so. I mean, from the timing standpoint, man, it couldn't have been any better to get Tez eligible and up to speed. Obviously, you don't want Pesor to get hurt. You don't know that it's going to happen, but 
Um, that that was really beneficial for the Tar Heels there to have to be able to to turn Tez loose uh, with one game under his belt. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on Amarian because that's what I wanted to hit on. I think in all of the madness of the second half and how well UNC played, I think one specific drive in the first half kind of got lost a little bit. It was 14 to seven Miami. Miami had just gone on an 11 play 92 yard drive. And there was a little bit of a, an air of nervousness in Keenan stadium. And North Carolina came out with a nine play 75 yard drive to tie the game up 14 all Mac Brown always talks about the middle 10 quick aside. I thought it was the middle eight. Did we add on two minutes? Did anybody else notice that? I thought it might be a little rounding error, so Mac can maybe make the numbers look a little better. Maybe UNC scored a lot of touchdowns between five minutes and four minutes. But it could anyways, be the twelve. It just is wherever you want to cut it off. Exactly. But this was a big moment in the game. UNC tied the game up, and they did it by running the football. There was that crazy fourth and one where uh, Miami had the penalty on the defensive coach, which was quite crazy. But then UNC came back after that. Amarian Hampton run for five yards, Amarian Hampton run for four yards, Amarian Hampton run for two yards, and that one uh, was the touchdown, I believe. Um, so it just shows that UNC came out and sort of imposed their will on the game by running the football. I think that's one thing that I wanted to highlight before we turn the page uh, to, to Virginia and put that game in the past. I do want to get uh, some listener questions in. If you're listening uh, live on YouTube, you can post your questions in the chat pod. I like this one from Slagle, uh, our, uh, one of our most loyal listeners here. Slagle asks, what's been the most surprising part of the season so far? Evan, I'll go to you first for this one. What surprised you after six games? I think it has to be the overall play of the defense, right? I mean, I thought they had the talent to to make some strides and and maybe more specifically, came on record. I mean, that guy has been a dude through six games. I mean, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I think he has over 30 quarterback pressures this year, which has got to be near the top in the country. <laughs> I mean, that is just unreal. If you watch him <laughs> on the edge, it's incredible because looking at him, he doesn't look like a guy you think would wreak as much havoc as he does just because he's, I guess, a little short maybe for – a pass rusher, but man, he, he is physical and he is precise with his move and, and really knows how to, to leverage his body weight well. So I think just the overall play of the defense uh, through six games and just the ability for them, especially in the second half, to really shut things down. I think if you take out that Pittsburgh kickoff return for a touchdown, they've given up three touchdowns to Power 5 teams in the second half. And I think they've allowed 17 points in the fourth quarter to Power 5 teams this year. I mean, those are unreal numbers. I think I saw somewhere that was funny that or this year they've allowed 17 points in the fourth quarter, and last year they allowed 40 points in the fourth quarter to App State in one game. <laughs> so I think that really puts into context just the incredible and marked improvements this defense has really made this year. Jeremiah. I cannot agree. <laughs> I, I think that's – I think it's uh, – you, you guys go ahead. Jeremiah, if you want to tackle it, go go for it. I can't – I mean, I think Evan nailed it there. Man, uh, first of all, shout out to Slagle. Uh, we always <laughs> love seeing Slagle in the uh, in the chat, as many others. Uh, I'm gonna say Tez Walker playing, uh, because I was not very certain at a certain point. Uh, I remember obviously when Matt came out there on August the 8th, he, uh, he actually wasn't supposed to talk to us that day. It was supposed to be, oh man, who was it? Gene Chizik, uh, was supposed to be the guy, our media availability for the day, and uh, obviously Matt gives that news out. And it gets closer to the season. No decision had been made after one game. Actually, we're before the first game, I should say. And he just kind of doesn't play. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the decision was made at, right after that. Uh, but then, you know, Tez, ESPN just put out an article. Andrea um, Adelson actually just put out a very lengthy article. Some of that stuff we knew, but I think she, she did a good job recounting the events and uh, kind of getting the different perspectives in there. Uh, you know, and so, yes, like I said, some of the stuff in there, we, we, we probably knew, but I thought she did a good job kind of detailing all of that. But anyway, um, 
it just kind of makes you think like for for two months how we were you know kind of covering this obviously media as a whole but then uh, you know here at ic you know just trying to see like is this something that's realistic uh i know some people have conversations about you know play him anyway and and all this other stuff so you know just that whole saga really all happens just like in a two-month span uh, and at the end result you look up and he has 132 receiving yards against the top 25 team. So interesting. I mean, to be ineligible and then come back and return and be a legitimate factor for this team. I mean, I think that's the most surprising part to me. I really wasn't sure that he'd be able to play. I thought the NCAA had kind of slammed the door on that, um, you know, but that's what I would say. And Tess himself, Tess himself said, he, yeah. he thought he wasn't going to play. Yeah, he, he had gotten to a point where he had resigned himself to next year. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, just yeah, I'll throw one in there, too, because I, I don't know if this is a, the biggest surprise. But how about the depth? Um, just <laughs> although I'm looking at the depth chart. There's just so much depth on this team uh, defensively. My God. I mean, they have Max been talking about it forever, about getting too deep on the defensive line. They are. I mean, they're three yeah. deep in some spots. Yeah. Defensive end, you know, some of the some of the interior places. When you bring a Tamari Fox and a Travis Shaw in for a Kevin Hester, um, or a Ritzy and a KBJ in for a Miles Murphy, uh, you know, like I mean, they're not de- they're still not deep at linebacker, but they got a lot of guys in the secondary too. I mean, we were we were noting it, being the mm. nerds that we are. You know, they were they're getting to a point where. You know, Stick Lane is with Geo Biggers and Don Chapman is with Will Hardy. Right. And it's not just Geo Biggers and Don Chapman running around at safety. And, um, you know, that's something that I think that's something to note. And also just the fact that, you know, you know how it is with a football season. You have to go through a spring and a summer and it feels like there is so much buildup to a football season. And through six games, knock on wood, as Jim Hawkins would say, it's delivered so far. They're six and zero. You felt like it could have a chance to be a good year, a special season. It has been. We're uh, we're knocking on the door of a November to remember, maybe. Um, so I would I would just throw those two things in. But I think Evan and Jeremiah nailed it uh, on their answers. Definitely. I'm gonna cheat a little bit. When you're the host, you can select questions and then give them to yourself when when you want to. So I'm gonna take this question from Garrett Chapman. He asks, what player is most improved since last year? I'd say you could throw out a whole bunch of different names, um, but one I will highlight is Teon Holloway. Uh, He is one of the rotation players in the secondary. Uh, As we just talked about, that's a deep cornerback room. Uh, Armani Chapman, I thought, has been really good in the snaps that he's played, but Holloway, I think, has taken a big step forward. I saw this stat today. I found it really interesting. The player with the highest tackle grade on PFF. Now, of course, you have to keep in mind sample size, right? Tayon Holloway has only played 271 snaps uh, compared to someone like Cedric Gray, who's in the 400s. But either way, Tayon Holloway has the highest tackle grade on PFF of anyone on North Carolina's defense. And I think that's particularly important to call out given North Carolina's struggles uh, tackling in the past few seasons. I think this season, every single game, pretty much you can count on one hand the missed tackles that UNC has had, especially in the secondary. Uh, whereas, you know, if you kind of flash back to that App State, App State game from last year, as we've already referenced, you know, I can picture it in my head now a few uh, missed tackles in the secondary that led to some big plays. That seemed to be a big problem uh, last season. So I'd highlight. Uh, Tayon Holloway, someone who's taken a huge step forward. You, know, you could throw out Marcus Allen. Uh, you could throw out a bunch of names there for most improved, uh, but that's one that I would highlight. I'm going to take a second here. Uh, we are approaching 930 here on the East Coast, so I'm going to take a second to do our ad read, uh, Johnny T-shirt. Before I do that, though, I have a favor I need from the chat. Everyone in the chat, let us know where you're watching from. I always think this is fun, so type that's it in. Uh, Let us know what city and and state you're watching from. While I do that, I'm going to pull up this comment here. Uh, We know Tar Heel and GA is watching from Georgia, most likely. He says, place my Johnny T-shirt order today, getting ready for the Georgia Tech game. Tar Heel and GA, I hope you used your discount code because Inside Carolina subscribers 
who shop at Johnny T-Shirt, they get a discount code 10% off. Johnny T-Shirt is our sponsor of On The Beat Live and all of the amazing podcasts that we do at Inside Carolina. So we want to show support to them shopping in person. If you're in Chapel Hill this weekend for the UNC Virginia game, make sure to stop by their store. If you're a little farther away, like our friend Tar Heel and GA, make sure to shop at johnnytshirt.com for all of your UNC gear. The temperatures have dipped down into the 50s this week in Chapel Hill, which means for a lot of people, just like myself, it's time to dig out uh, a jacket or two while you're walking the dog or going to work, things like that. Go get a new Carolina jacket at Johnny T-Shirt. We appreciate them for supporting the show, and, and we hope you guys support them as well. We're going to take a quick break. As Tommy always says, let the national guys pay the bills. <laughs> we'll be back in a second with more On The Beat Live here Tuesday night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back. It's producer John, Jeremiah Hallway, Evan Rogers, and Adam Smith here talking about UNC football's 6-0 start. We are going to turn the page a little bit to talk about Virginia. This is a big game for North Carolina, the opportunity to move to 7-0. I'm actually going to start this segment by going to Evan. I think Evan does an amazing job every single week with his opponent previews. Uh, So, Evan, you know, don't give us all the good stuff but let us know what you've read up and learned about Virginia thus far this season. Give us a little preview of the Cavaliers. Yeah, I think the craziest thing that I read when looking at Virginia as a whole is that on Saturday, October 21st, UVA will be looking for its first win over an FBS opponent in 366 dates. Good God. (laughs) Their last win over an FBS opponent came on October 20th last year against Georgia Tech. Obviously, second-year head coach Tony Elliott's there. Uh, he has won four games in two years. Two of them have been over FBS opponents. One was a two-point win against Old Dominion, and then another one was a seven-point win at Georgia Tech last year. Obviously, a Georgia Tech team that went on to later beat UNC later in the year. Um, statistically, if you look at this UVA team, I mean, they're they're one in five. 0-2 in the conference. They recently just won their first game over William & Mary before having this bye week in between that game and coming to Chapel Hill. Um, they're In terms of, of scoring offense and scoring defense, they're, they're bottom in the conference in both of those categories. And I think a really interesting thing with this team, especially you know hearing Gene Chizik talk about it, and obviously if you think back to last year about the number of backup quarterbacks that gave UNC troubles, especially late in the season, UVA has played two quarterbacks this year, not necessarily by design. Uh, Tony Musket transfer from Monmouth came in. He was the presumed starter. He went down with a shoulder injury in Virginia's home op- or season opener against Tennessee. Um, so when he was out for three games, uh, true freshman Anthony Calandria started. Uh, three-star prospect flipped over from Middle Tennessee State to UVA. Uh, and there were some games I remember watching Calandria actually play NC State. Uh, it was a Friday night game, and he made some throws that I thought were pretty impressive for a true freshman. I think his biggest issue was his his ability to be turnover prone at sometimes. Uh, through the three and I guess a quarter game he has played this year, he's got a five to six touchdown to interception ratio. So once Musket came back healthy, uh, he started the last two games for UVA. 
And again, it's kind of just been the same struggle at quarterback. Uh, looking at Musket's numbers, he's thrown for 573, five touchdowns, two picks. But I think the biggest thing that sticks out is he's got a 24.6 quarterback rating, uh, which puts him 130th out of 134 eligible FBS uh, quarterbacks. So they, they've got struggles uh, offensively at the quarterback position. Defensively, they give up a lot on the ground. Uh, they allow 177 yards a game on the ground. So it could be another big game for Amari and Hampton. Um, but just as a whole across the board, when you look at this team, yes, it's a rival game. Yes, it's another conference game. Um, but it's point blank just a team that talent-wise and production-wise, UNC far outmatches and outclasses. Yeah, I think it's important to call out for, for the viewers at home. This Virginia team ranks 84th in S&P+. Comparable team there is App State. Uh, UNC had a close game against App State, though, earlier this season. So, uh, you know, you have to keep that in mind. App State is ranked 82nd. Um, Adam, what stands out to you about this Virginia team? And do you think this is a little bit of a, a trap game for the Tar Heels, or is this one where... UNC's talent is just so superior. Uh, they roll in this one. I think that it, uh, God, you set me up nicely there, John. Like, I think Tommy would be proud. Um, you know, when you said trap game, my old mind started triggering. Uh, by the way, shout out Ansel Gamble, Mebbin NC. That's my guy. Uh, we go way back. City, the, the big lights of Mebbin, Ansel. I did want um, to get this in real quick. Shout out to Turner Whitfield from the country of Poland. Yeah, right. Very impressive, Turner. I don't know what time it is over there. I think it's the middle of the night. So shout out. Draped in the Polish flag. I did. That was a great idea to, to have where everybody's watching from. I, I was yeah. I was enjoying scrolling through there. It's quite it's quite enjoyable. Um, yeah. Oh, look at that. Evan getting a shout out. It's got fans in the chat over here. Um, but I would say, I mean, on UVA. Yes, it is a trap game in the sense of the definition of a trap game. I do not think it's going to be a trap game that traps Carolina. Um, now watch me be wrong about that. But um, I think by definition it is. I know Georgia Tech's not going to compete for the national title, but I think of these next three games, we've got Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Campbell. I think anyone will tell you the one that's the most concerning, I would think, would be Georgia Tech a place where they're two, I believe two in 10 UNC is over the last 12 games in Atlanta. Um, hasn't been a great, great run down in, in, in Atlanta for UNC over the years. Um, UVA does have a playmaker named Malik Washington at wide out. Um, yeah, I was thinking about when, when Evan was talking about the backup, the, the freshman. I mean, a guy was looking like Doug Flutie, some of those games I saw. Um, Jeremiah and I watched that, that NC State game before the you know, Friday night before Pitt, Carolina played Pitt. He's running around just slinging the ball all over the place. Mm -hmm. really, you know, team might make, make a grab or they might pick it off. He's just putting it up there. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Malik Washington leads the ACC in receiving yards. Um, so he's been able to be super productive and sort of put himself in the conversation for, I think, the NFL draft, maybe, um, despite the, the, uncertainties and inconsistencies they've had at quarterback. I mean, I think Tony Musket is the guy there, but I mean, he's not exactly, you know, uh, you know, he's not exactly Drake May or Jordan Travis or Caleb Williams. Um, so I would highlight Malik Williams as a, as a playmaker that be fun to see Marcus Allen match up with him probably. Um, but I don't know if you wouldn't see covers that 23 point spread. They're 23, 23 and a half point favorites. I think. It's a lot. Um, I'm pretty tight with my money anyway. Don't have that much. I don't know if I could put money on Carolina covering that, but um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they won the game going away. Jeremiah, I want to bring this question in for you. Another one from our friend Slagle. What's the biggest concern with Virginia this week, Jeremiah? When you look at Virginia and UNC, what do you what do you see there? What stands out? Yeah, first of all, I thought Evan did a great job laying all that stuff out. I thought he was very uh, um, thorough in that. And I thought Adam made a great point as well, um, you know, with the with the wideout. To me, I think the biggest concern is just the fact that anytime you get a UVA, a Georgia Tech in this case this year, or like a when you had App State, you know, those are the games where 
you look at those teams and it's like, hey, this is they need this game to feel obviously good about their their season. I I might ex- excuse App State because they've had some really good seasons, but um, you know, in the case of yeah, certainly a Virginia or even like a Campbell that they're going to play later, it's like you know, what's the highlight of their season going to be? It's pro- it would probably be a UNC a win against UNC, especially going to Chapel Hill to do so. Um, think about this though: the last time that you know, and I know there's been roster and personnel changes, but the last game against UVA was a three point game. Uh, yep. You know, so it wasn't they like they lost was, the game. They yeah, lost that game. Josh, so it wasn't, they needed Josh Downs to get nuts, and he exactly. did. Anyway, go ahead. Certainly, yeah, and certainly, and you know, there's certainly been differences in for both teams of you know improvements and, and losses and things like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like there's a history of just routing UVA, you know. So it's not like you know. I mean, to me, when I look at this game on paper, just the way UNC's played, like you know. It is what I mean. You're talking about a Virginia team that's averaging 23 points a game. Like Evan said, they're very poor against the rush. They're a lot better against the pass uh, as far as total yardage, but they they only have five sacks all year. So it's not like they're necessarily fully disrupting a pass game, but they are fifth against passing yards. Um, so to me, that's that's pretty much what it's going to be. Um, you know, when you look at their conference losses, those state and Boston College games. You know, those are close games, both of them. Um, anytime you get into conference play and the stakes are raised, you know, you're going to expect more from some of those teams. But I just think, you know, kind of based on the quarterback play and, and you know, not not a very efficient offense, it's just really going to be difficult for, to me, it's going to be difficult for Virginia to really find any kind of momentum in this game. The main thing that I think would trip UNC up would be turnovers. But again, They've been they've pretty much been winning the turnover battle. I mean, they they've had some moments where, you know, Drake might have a two interception game, or maybe they put the ball on the ground. But for the most part, they've been able to win the turnover battle in part because of the defense forcing those turnovers. So um, I think really the main issue would just be how UVA competes. Like, you know, they can execution like it kind of is what it is. But how do they compete? Like, what's the approach that they take? And saying, hey, we want to get a signature win. They haven't really even been close to one yet. Um, this is going to be probably the biggest chance or certainly one of the biggest chances they get. Let me pull up. I've got to double check and make sure. They do have Louisville later and they have Miami and Duke. Uh, so, you know, certainly not much easier for them. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to try to take their their biggest swing at North Carolina. One last interesting point I found when looking at this Virginia defense specifically, uh, like I'd mentioned earlier, they're, they're bottom of the conference in points allowed at 31.8 points a game. Uh, I think they've allowed three op- opponents to score over 35 points, uh, James Madison, Maryland, and then Tennessee in the opener. For comparison, UNC's defense last year, which obviously was toward the bottom in a lot of uh, statistical categories, allowed 30.8 points per game. So this UVA defense this year is allowing one more point per game than than the UNC defense did last year across 14 points or 14 games rather. Uh, So it kind of just shows, uh, I don't know if the level is the right word, but just kind of the deficiencies that UVA has had on that side of the ball. But like Jeremiah and Adam have both mentioned, they have played some close games uh, specifically against BC and NC State. And one point I want to make about this Virginia game as well is the opponent may not be the toughest that UNC has faced all year, but the pressure on this North Carolina team is as high as it's ever going to be in this game, and it's only going to get higher as the season goes along. And the reality is that pressure bubble probably isn't going to burst until they drop one game, if they drop one game. I think that that's sort of it's, – it's weird to think about, but it really is an, an elevator. It's a ladder more and more national attention is going to be placed on this North Carolina team. There's going to be more and more noise about college football playoff, ACC championship, this and that. So, you know, it looks like on paper, oh, this South Carolina game week one, that's the most pressure this this team will face. Or, you know, oh, this home game against Miami, there's a lot of pressure here. But in reality, each additional game in the season, the pressure is just going to ramp up more and more and more. And I think regardless of how difficult the opponent is, it'll be interesting to see how UNC handles that pressure as the season goes along. 
I do want to bring in a, a new segment here to On The Beat Live. Very exciting. I have prepared three statements for our panel here, <laughs> and they're going to tell me fact or fiction, whether or not this is true or false. So I'll bring up the banner here, and I'm going to go to Jeremiah first. Fact <laughs> or fiction? Cayman Rucker is the best pass rusher in the ACC. Tell me fact and fiction, fact or fiction, and why. Yeah, you know, uh, John had me out here doing some research, man. Uh, he really had me, you know, trying to break down and evaluate. And I, I really did. I really did. Um, I am going to go with fact. And this is the thing. I actually have the um, the perspective of eye test, you know, when it comes to, to Cayman Rucker, just watching him play. Um, so what I did, I went to Pro Football Focus um, and, and tried to look at some of the, you know, more advanced tools. It's, it's a cool tool. I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty cool tool uh, to kind of look at. So um, the league leader, and I just went ACC, the league leader in sacks in ACC is Antoine Powell Ryland. He has seven sacks. Cayman Rucker is tied for second at six and a half. Uh, Ashton uh, Gillot, I actually do not know how to pronounce his last name, but Ashton Gillot at Louisville has six and a half um and then there's a few others so let me just kind of break down and kind of how i got to my conclusion so Cayman rucker in 208 pass rush snaps uh, he has six and a half sacks 22 hurries and a win percentage of 21.8 which was important to me because essentially what a win percentage is it's the percentage of I guess kind of your ability to get past your your blocker in a sense. So that's that's pretty much you know that's probably not the most technical uh, little term for it. Matter of fact, I I might still have it up here um, to see exactly how Pro Football Focus uh, defines it. But um, win percentage is percentage of wins versus blocking on non penalty pass rush snaps. So on those plays, he has twenty. He is at twenty one point eight. The ACC leader. Uh, is Kevin Harris at Georgia Tech at 23.6. He has far less uh, pass rush snaps than Cayman does, but he's at 76. I think that's a good sample size. Um, Antoine uh, Powell Ryland in 161 pass rush snaps. He has seven sacks, like I mentioned. He actually has a higher grade than Cayman. I forgot to mention that. Cayman has a grade of 82.3. Powell has an 83. I mean, that's that's about that's, – that's right there. Um Powell has uh, two quarterback hits, 20 worries, uh, hurries, and a 17.6 win percentage. Um, you know, and then when you look at it, Cayman Rucker has three games in which he has more than one sack. Powell has two such games. And actually, his last game, he had four. So he went from, he actually went from three the first how many ever games. So he actually had four that last game. So that actually shot him up to the top. So otherwise, Cayman actually would be leading the ACC. Uh, and then the last one I'll kind of evaluate as far as breaking it down like that. Uh, Ashton from Louisville in 199 uh, pass rush snaps. He has six and a half snaps. Uh, sacks, like I mentioned, tied with Cayman. Three hits, 25 hurries, which is more than the first two, but a 17.8 win percentage. Uh, as far as multiple sack games, he has... I gave him one and a half because there's one games where he has, uh, you know, one and a half. So I, I said he has, you know, kind of how you want to do that. Uh, so I think Cayman against those guys is probably the best. Uh, Cayman's grade of 82.6. The league leader in the ACC is Ruben Bain Jr. at Miami. He has an 86.7, but he only has two and a half sacks. Then uh, Samuel Oklahoma at Pitt has an 85 he only has three sacks and he has a 12.8 win per, uh, win percentage so and also the other thing i think cayman also wins the pound for pound argument because cayman 6-2 listed at 6-2 everybody else that i named including kevin harris and uh oh i, I forgot uh i'm gonna get to him later but everybody else that i named is actually six foot three or taller um there's one guy that's interesting uh mason Riger at louisville He's only played three games, but he has three sacks in those three games. As a matter of fact, I think it was all of Louisville's last three games. Uh, he has a grade of 88, which would be the highest had, had he played more games. Um, he's already up to 
you know, four hurries and a 16.7 win percentage. So he's somebody to kind of look out for. He's gotten back in the lineup, it looks like. But uh, my overall conclusion uh, is that it is fact. Uh, I think came in all around when you look at just the activity that he's been able to have, even the eye test, the visual, seeing him just overcome those bigger guys on those offensive lines. I'm going to go with fact for, for Cameron Rucker. And such an emotional leader of this UNC defense. I loved uh, the image of uh, Rucker, uh, Gray, and, and Power kind of doing the Power Rangers thing together mm-hmm. uh, after a sack against Miami. That was really cool to see. Adam, I'm going to come to you next. Fact or fiction? Mac Brown is the leader in the clubhouse six games in for ACC Coach of the Year. What do you think? Fact. Print the shirts. <laughs> no, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say fiction, John. Um, you got uh, me there, Adam. I'm not. Yeah, Adam's was the first half. <laughs> <laughs> what a. It was. It was a. Uh, what a move there. Uh, you never saw it coming. Um, <laughs> much like a Cayman Rucker off the edge. Yeah, it's interesting that Jeremiah was pointing out that they list him at 6'2". Like, man, he's pretty short. Yeah. Cayman Rucker. Yeah. I was a little surprised um, at that. It's interesting. I'll, I'll be I'll be interested to see what they list him at when, you know, like I assume he'll go to the NFL Combine at some point or, you know, like – I mean, you remember when Andre Green was 6'4", uh, the UNC's wideout? Now he's like 6'2". He was 6'4 <laughs> one, at one point. Uh, wow. He's lost two inches. Um, anyway, I'm get, I'm way off topic. But when he said that, I was like, "Dang, they listen at six two because we've we've stood beside Cameron Rucker." Um, I'm going to say fiction on Mac Brown, and I'm not going to say uh, it's it's not because he doesn't deserve it. I mean, uh, you know, he's probably you know what I hadn't even thought about this with my answer. I just just did it here live on the beat live. He could be in the running for national coach of the year, honestly. He might have a better chance at national coach of the year than ACC coach of the year. Um, I think I think right here at this point in the season on October 16th or 17th or whatever it is, 17th, I guess you would have to say either Mike Elko at Duke or Jeff Brom at Louisville. I, I would think those would be Mac's biggest competition for coach of the year. And you know how these coach of the year votes go. I mean, Think about basketball, where how many ACC Coach of the Years did Roy Williams and Coach K win once they got to a certain point where, you know, they were Final Four contenders most every year. You know, it just didn't happen, you know. Um, it's a reason you see, like, a Jeff Capel win an ACC Coach of the Year in basketball. Um, you know, you're when, when you're voting on these awards, you're looking for someone who exceeds expectations. Uh, so I don't think Dabo Sweeney's in the running this year. Um, and I don't think, you know, Dave Clawson at Wake is kind of a media darling in some ways, which is a little weird. Uh, maybe I don't need to say what I'm thinking into the microphone here. Um, I, I do know Dave Clawson, but um, anyway, the, you know, he's kind of a media darling. He's not going to win it this year. I think Wake is 0-3 in the league, um, so you can cross him off the list. I don't think Dave Dorn is either. Um, I'm sure he's a joy to cover this season, um, as whiny as he can be. Uh, but I, I would say that Mike Elko, Jeff Brom, and Mac Brown would be your top contenders. And, you know, if Louisville falls off a cliff here, even though their schedule is very favorable, um, you know, I, I think Mac could have a chance to win. I, I certainly, if he wins it, I certainly think he would be deserving because I think he's done a, a really good coaching job. He will be, he is quick to point out that UNC won three games and two games, the two seasons before he got there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and Mac caught a lot of flack for these recruiting classes that he brought in and people have been impatient with them panning out. Well, you know, they're starting to pan out now. Sometimes in football, you know, it's not like basketball. Sometimes you got to wait. And like Bo Atkinson was talking today, you got to develop and it's a grown man's game. You got to get stronger. You got to get bigger. Um, so I think you're starting to see some of the fruits of the labor with the the recruiting and the portal recruiting too. But um, you know, maybe I don't know when does when does Carolina play Duke? November 11th. Duke Carolina November 11th in Kenan Stadium could be a uh, winner is the front runner for ACC coach of the year maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I think there's a lot to commend Mike Elko for the job he's done at Duke. Um, and I think Brahms Louisville team has beaten teams they've needed to beat. They they face planted against Pitt, but um, I would say those three for right now. I so should mention, 
<laughs> I should mention as well, before I get to the last one here for Evan, Fact or Fiction, this segment is sponsored by Congruity. We'll share a little bit more about them after I hear from Evan. Evan, your question, Amarian Hampton, the best running back in the ACC. I gave you the toughest one, the intern hazing uh, effect a little bit there. What do you think? Is Hampton the best running back in the ACC? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with fact for this one. Uh, wow. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting question because I was thinking back to the South Carolina game where he had, I think, 37 yards on 16 carries, and it looked like a lot of the talks about him being better with his vision and breaking tackles hadn't really come about. And British Brooks actually shined in that game. He had over 100 mm-hmm. yards rushing. Um, but I did some digging in uh, Pro Football Focus, just like Jeremiah. It's a great tool. It's a tool that you can get lost in time with at times. Let's uh, go with the eye test here, guys. I mean, I, I, it's unreal. No, I, I know. I know. But that tricked me to death with this stuff. I mean, come on. I don't know. He's got an 83.7 grade. I'll, on I'll say this. No grades will be thrown out. I think the biggest thing with Amarian that sticks out to me, well, first off, just broadly, he's second in the conference in rushing yards right now. Jawar Jordan at Louisville is the only one above him with three more yards on the season. Jordan actually got injured in the pit game. So currently Amarian Hampton uh, – Regarding in terms of how Jordan's status is, Amarin Hampton's leading the conference and rushing among healthy backs. Uh, he's second in the conference in touchdowns with eight touch rushing touchdowns this year. And the biggest thing with Hampton is his yards after contact against Miami. He had 153 yards after contact against what was the number one rushing defense coming into the game. On the season, Amarin Hampton has 446 rushing yards after contact, which is 10th nationally. But a lot of those guys who are above him have actually played seven games this year already. I've played one more game than Hampton. He leads the ACC in rushing because he leads it in rushing yards per game. He's the he's the rushing leader. So you yes. got that stat there. I mean, he's he's ahead of everybody in rushing yards per game. He's played one less game. And what's what was crazy about the the yards after contact is I did some digging, and I wanted to see how his rushing yards after contact compared to a guy named Javante Williams of 2020. <laughs> I think everyone remembers that year with him and Michael Carter. I think the Javante run against Miami where he's hurtling a guy and he's, he's bouncing off defenders. I mean, Javante was this back that was just good with his balance and was such a powerful runner. So this year to date for Amarian of his 658 rushing yards, like I said earlier, 446 are after contact, which is 67% of his rushing yards are after contact for Amarian. It's unbelievable. In Javante's season in 2020, of his 1,168 rushing yards, 720 of them were after contact, which was 61%. So Amarian Hampton is six points percentage points higher than Javante Williams to date in yards after contact average, which when you think about it, Javante Williams was maybe one of, if not the best running backs after contact in the country that season. So I think that's what really sets Amarian Hampton apart from a lot of these other running backs. Uh, Another thing that I think is big with him is he's one of two running backs with over a hundred rushing attempts this year. So he's really cemented himself as this workhorse, every down kind of a back, which I didn't really think anyone suspected coming into the year. I think a lot of people, and I know British Brooks got hurt there, but I think everyone suspected, you know, maybe a 50, 50 split, even a 60-40 split in favor of Brooks after that first game, I think would have been kind of plausible for some people. Um, but Hampton's vision's gotten a lot better. Uh, his ability to see holes and, and move in space is a whole lot better. I know uh, Jason Staples did a really good breakdown of that big run he had against Miami where he kind of squeezed himself through a tight hole. And I think last year, that's probably a play where Amarin Hampton's running into the back of a lineman. I think, <laughs> think how many times that happened last year where he kind of just was trying to just bust through a hole too quick and just yeah. you know, run, runs into the back of a lineman. So his, his vision's improved. His pass protection has improved a lot this season. I mean, that is something he has made huge strides in. And I think what really sells it home for me uh, is just his yards after contact. When you're in the conversation with a player like Javante Williams and you're actually at a higher rate, granted, I know it's a smaller sample size, but through six games, I think that's a really impressive mark. And it's not something I thought I'd be saying coming in at the season, and it's not something I really thought after the first game, but I would argue that Amarian Hampton is the best running back in the conference right now. Yeah, especially since Mac Brown talked about last year, he wanted a two running back rotation. He kind of harped on that. We need to get to two running backs, you know, after they had Elijah Green, 
uh, and Caleb Hood and Hampton running last year. Uh, now this year, he sort of has found one guy and he's stuck with Hampton uh, and it's worked certainly for UNC. I do want to bring up congruity here because it is a fact. Congruity is the leading provider for Tar Heel businesses, uh, payroll, HR, and employee benefits needs. They are North Carolina based. They empower small and mid-sized business owners with HR and payroll outsourcing. They have top of the line technology that transforms organizations and they are obsessed with customer service. So we want you to visit congruityhr.com slash tarheels to learn more about Congruity. They are a loyal sponsor of Inside Carolina. They sponsor this show and all of our other programming here on our YouTube channel and across our podcast network. So be sure to check them out and show them some love, Congruity uh, HR. Before we get out of here, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night here on the East Coast. Adam, anything left, anything we missed tonight from the show? Shout out Fireman Lamont in the chat. Shout out my guy, Bill Abernathy, who says he's watching from Naperville, Illinois, which happens to be the home of one of my best friends, Dan Wiederer. Bill, I don't know if you know him. I don't know if you read him. He covers the Bears for the Chicago Tribune. But I know Naperville. I got love for Naperville. Appreciate you uh, tuning in with us. Um, I guess the only thing I might have left is uh, what I think is going to happen on Saturday on the CW. Um, I don't know if we have any Gilmore Girls or Gossip Girl uh, jokes. Throw them in the chat if you'd like. Um, I don't know any other CW shows. I don't know. Was, uh, wasn't there a witches show that had like, I don't know, a bunch of young white girls that were kind of witches? I, I can't remember. Um, I can't think of the did name. Did y'all ever watch All American on there? No. I, Charmed is the one I'm thinking of. Was, it, was that a show of witches? I can't remember. I think so, yeah. Was that CW? Uh, I just feel like it was. I don't know. I honestly don't know. It might have been. Um, I feel a little bad. We have to make sure we're not leaving Evan out. So, Evan, I know you're a little young. So, this is a television network. <laughs> you used to go on your TV and plug in numbers on this thing called a remote. And you could find CW Network. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be looking up that channel this weekend. I'm gonna be, I was going to be honest. I don't even know what channel the CW Network's on. and I've never seen the channel in my life. The crazy thing about – I think I've watched, like – I think I saw State Marshall playing against it um, on the CW earlier this year. Oh, was and that I, a CW? That was CW yeah, and I, and I was disappointed in the scorebook. I think I keep telling people, everyone, that when CW <laughs> gets brought up, it's the exact same scorebook used in ESPN games. Like, everyone yeah. made this big deal about the CW, you know, getting these games for the ACC. And I thought they would go all out with, you know, one a one-person creative team is probably all it would take to yeah. get a unique scorebook. So, I guess that's my rant on the CW network. network. <laughs> I do not know the channel, too, and probably never will. Uh, but yeah, UNC is playing football on it. Never thought I'd say that in my life. That's so interesting. I thought I thought the CW was like a common thing. Even people in the chat are like, "What's the CW?" I thought it was like, yeah, that's crazy. All right. I mean, I know what it is. I just don't. I, it's one of those that I don't think I've ever really watched. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, yeah. I mean, I've got the CW somewhere on my uh, my TV local, in there. Local local channel, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm just predictable with the, the things I watch. But. Shout out uh, Fireman Lamont with the Hulu has live sports. Yes, he's, he's on the roll. That's a good he's one. On <laughs> I'm going to say um, the score for Saturday is going to be UNC 44, UVA 13. Uh, that would mean UNC covers. Um, you know, I don't know that they're going to cover, but I got 44-13 Tar Heels. Nice. Jeremiah and Evan, real quick before we get out of here, quick score prediction from you all. Um, hmm. I'll go UNC. We'll give UNC. Uh... Adam, what was your score? I don't want to copy you. Hey, you can copy it. I mean, I wouldn't recommend right. it if you want to be yeah. accurate. <laughs> right. I'm going to go UNC. 24-13 is what I said. I mean, I don't know. I'm going to go UNC 38, and I'm going to go UVA – 16. 14. I'm going to we'll go, 14. 14. Yeah. I'm gonna go UNC 45, I'm UVA 10, and Connor Harrell gets his first touchdown of his college career. Whoa. Ooh, okay. Hot take. Hot that's, take. that's a hot take. That's a hot take. I'm not too confident, but it'd be interesting I mean, to see. That's the thing that some 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 of us were talking about today. Do, do you get – I mean, it sounds ridiculous because 
you know, it makes you sound like you're sort of spoiled, but I mean, does, do style points start to matter now in the back half of the regular season? Um, I, I would guess that winning is the style point you need the most, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I guess that starts, starts to be a concern because you got people that don't watch your games determining your fate yeah. uh, possibly for the postseason. I don't know. That's a very small thing to, to take into consideration, the style points aspect of it. I, I had not thought about that, Adam. I think that's a good reflection of the state of the UNC football program. We're now measuring not only are they winning, but how big are they winning, which is uh, you know a really interesting spot for the program to be. Well, for producer John, myself, for Jeremiah, for Evan, for Adam, thank you all for watching tonight. This has been On The Beat Live. There'll be tons of content leading up to the game. Uh, who is going to be there uh, on the beat uh, on Saturday? Who's covering the game? We'll all be there. All Dream three team. Yeah. All three. Awesome. <laughs> Exciting stuff. So keep you an eye out for all up. three uh, of these guys to be in the press box. Uh, follow them. Be sure to check out InsideCarolina.com for all the other content, uh, UNC football and basketball related. Uh, appreciate everyone watching, and we'll catch you next week. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.